Welcome to the Nourishment Mindset Podcast, your guide to good food, good health, and a good life. And now, here's your host, Nutrition Network Advisor and author of the Nourishment Mindset, Dixie Huey. Happy Transformation Tuesday, y'all. Welcome to or back to the Nourishment Mindset Podcast, where we are on a metabolic mission to achieve vitality, reverse chronic lifestyle conditions with real whole foods, the pleasures of the table, straight talk, and sound healing practices. I have a very special guest today, and we are going to be talking about winning wise, willpower, and something a lot of people in the health and fitness world don't talk about that often. And that is what my guest calls emotional fitness. We also get into what motivates us. And as a student of psychology and uh, human behavior, I really especially enjoyed that. So you will be introduced to him in a moment. But before I do that, there are some housekeeping things here at the Nourishment Mindset. First of all, I owe some of y'all at least four more of you a complimentary signed copy of my book. Why is this? Well, I am looking at five five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, and I am aware of this thanks to Amy, who wrote, love this podcast. Dixie has an amazing way of presenting holistic health information. I love her approach and the lightness and humor added. It's a joy to listen to, and it's enhancing my knowledge on how I approach food and diet. Thank you, Amy, for that beautiful review. I'm so glad it's helpful. And also for finding me, because that's something that I must take the heat for. When I offered to send a complimentary signed copy to listeners who review the podcast on either Apple or Spotify to help us grow awareness of this metabolic mission, I failed to say, please get in touch with me. You can go to my favorite fat dot com website and you'll see all the different ways to connect with me links to email phone however you want to you know get in touch instagram i need y'all's names and shipping information so who are these other at least four people there may be more of you sandy of ca bullwinkle 713 abe lever i hope i'm pronouncing that correctly abe and rmmld 3 I'll be sharing their reviews, one each in a subsequent podcast. But if you are one of these people, please, pretty please reach out to me so I can make good on my promise to you. I like keeping my promises. And I apologize for not stating that more clearly that I need you to reach out to me. Apple doesn't tell me when I get a review. So on from that, as you know, because I've said it before, but maybe you're first listening. And if you're watching, you can see two things. One, I have my paperback. This is the author's copy, hence that mark in front of it, that watermark. The copy you get will not have a watermark. So if you go on Amazon, it is there. You can get the paperback. You can get the Kindle version, however you best like to read. And if you review the book on Amazon, 
I will enter you into a drawing, a monthly drawing that I'll do on the last day for a complimentary health coaching consult. The other thing you see if you are watching on YouTube at Nourishment Mindset is my crazy, huge, beautiful emerald colored earrings. Why do I bring this up? Well, they're huge and I usually don't wear such huge accessories, but I was feeling fun today. Also, this always makes me happy because I bought these from an incredible woman. We were at Crazy Horse Monument in South Dakota a couple summers ago, and this Lakota dancer with hula hoops just had me literally in tears, and she's multi-talented. She not only can spin 20-plus hula hoops, she makes beautiful jewelry. So if you're in South Dakota or you're headed that way, please go to Crazy Horse and watch this woman twirl and... uh support her her little earring and jewelry business. So we're almost done with our housekeeping. If you would like a signed copy, just go to my website, Favor Fat, or if it's easier to remember Nourishment Mindset, that'll take you to the same place. And you can order direct from me, same price as Amazon, include shipping, and I will sign a copy and get that off to you. Finally, please connect with me on Instagram, at Nourishment Mindset on LinkedIn, if you're a LinkedIner at Dixie Huey. And all of my stuff, if you haven't yet subscribed to the Substack and the book and everything, all of it's on Favor Fat. So I'm just going to keep it simple and go check out Favor Fat. So without further ado, in the words of my wonderful high school cross-country coach, Coach Bodine, RIP Boder, let's go get him. Today on the Nourishment Mindset Podcast, we have a very special guest. His name is David Greenwald. He is a certified health coach, the founder of Leanness Lifestyle University, which he has been doing for, you're going on almost 25 years. And welcome to the podcast, David. Thanks for being here. Dixie, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So you have an interesting backstory. Before, you know, the last now almost three decades of being a health coach, a fitness pro, you were a police officer, right? So how did you go from being a keeper of the peace to a motivator for health, wellness, fitness, David? That's awesome. Yeah, thanks so much. Um, Yes, I was a city police officer and I was uh, also an Illinois state trooper. And what happened was when I was an Illinois state trooper... I graduated from the academy, and at that time, I was a, a bodybuilder, powerlifter, and I kind of go back and forth. You know, I'd do a I'd do a show, and then I'd bulk up for powerlifting because you know powerlifting was all about getting big and strong. And so, um, in doing that, so I graduated from the academy, and about a year after that, I was using supplements, just basics, you know, protein powder and whatnot. And I thought, I'm gonna, I want to start an at-home supplement business, a mail-order supplement business, just if I could just make enough money to pay for my own supplements, I'll be happy. I mean, I'm a trooper. I've got a, I've got a, you know, uh, I'm making a a living. It's a vocation that I, I'm going to do the rest of my life. It's all good. And I started in this little tiny room in my home and there was no internet back then. And I placed these little classified ads in the back of the bodybuilding magazines, Flex Magazine, Iron Man, and I place these little classified ads with a toll-free number. Call da 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 if you want the best prices and da da on supplement. Well, 
that was in 1992. And by 1997, we were at about 5 million in revenue a year and 45 employees. Oh my goodness gracious. Yes. And so I took it out of the house, obviously. And uh, we were in, you know, 8,000 square foot warehouse and it was, uh, and I was still a trooper because I didn't grow up with a business background. And I'm like, well, the, I, I really like being a police officer and this is a guaranteed gig. I mean, if you stick with those state police, you're going to have a retirement and a pension. And, Jeez. and I'm like, I don't know, but at some point, you know, people around me and friends and whatnot were like, Dave, David, this business is, is booming, you know? And I was like, yes. And I was, I was working 80 hour weeks. I was doing 40 hours as a trooper and 40 hours, you know, for this company. Anyway, I say that because what happened was you asked how I transitioned. Well, I cut the cord with the, the the state police because that that supplement business was doing so well. But when that business was at its peak, the internet was coming in, emails was starting, uh, the the web was just barely here, and people could email me. They knew my background, bodybuilding, powerlifting, and whatnot. They knew I had um, gone through my own journey where I finally finished powerlifting and I lost fifty pounds of my own excess. And I decided I no longer wanted to go back to 235 pounds on a 510 frame. And so they knew my history. And I communicated a lot with my with my uh, clients, uh, my my customers. And I had, I, hate say, I mean, I don't hate to say it. I, I had tens of thousands of customers. And so emails would come in and say, Dave, can you tell me real quick, real quick, you know, no big deal. Just when you get a moment, how I can lose and keep off forever 30 pounds, you know, and how I can lose and keep off forever 50 pounds. And I tried to answer in an email best I could, you know, but it's bumper sticker back of the napkin fortune cookie answers where you just can't give the real complete. And I just found I was so passionate about wanting to help these people get from where they were to the better place. And I found that I was much more passionate about doing that. And I had so much more in me to share Hmm. that I created, I wrote, I wrote my book, The Leanest Lifestyle. It was almost 500 pages. And I created when internet was still dialed in your home and be on the internet at the same time. Um, I created Leanest Lifestyle University where we could coach people and have two-way, amazing, Dixie, amazing two-way communication. Wow. Right. You know, now we're like, yeah, whatever. You know, <laughs> you and I are Zooming right now. You know, like, well, what's the big deal? Well, back then it was a big deal. And the ability to author a book and then have people be able to give you feedback or to talk about the elements in the book was amazing. And so I created that in 1999 and we've been coaching people virtually and with that, with that program, just expanding and growing and, you know, getting better uh, for 23 years online. So that's how I transitioned out. Oh, and I sold the supplement company. I don't sell any supplements at all. I sold that supplement company so that I could do Linus Lifestyle University all the time. I love that. And my prior background is 20 years in business, marketing, public relations, management, consulting. So I love that your business that you had and the supplements, your customers helped you create your new business. And that's... Yes, that's so well said. That's exactly what happened. Yeah, it's great. You're responding to demand. I was speaking with um, my college roommate yesterday, Kirsten, who helped me very much, who happens to be a nutritionist. And she was talking about hanging out her shingle and going out and what she wants to do. And I said, you know, you should think about your business plan. You should do all that. But at a certain point, just offer some services and the market will tell you 
what it wants. Because the business I founded 20 some years ago looked completely different when I wound out of that business to become a health coach. So love, love the business in. Um, so I would love to know, and I'm sure it, it's a 500 page book. Mine's two. Yeah. So I'm, that's, that's a big book. That's a lot of information. And I've had the pleasure of being on your um, site and kind of seeing how some things work. I mean, it's a robust site. If someone, you know, said, Tell me, you know, what do I need to know? What are the key tenets of this idea of a leanness lifestyle without going into the 500 page right. <laughs> amazing tome of information? Um, what What is key about it? Well, Dixie, you don't want me to just do the audible version of my 500 page book right oh, now? <laughs> you and me both, we can do that together <laughs> for both of our. <laughs> yeah, it'd be, it'd be something to really lull people into a nice deep sleep. Exactly. No, kidding, but sleep is needed these days. Everyone I know, I know. Crazy. So, so, you know, one of the things that I learned early on, and one of the reasons the book was 500 pages, is, is I spent a lot of time in that book on emotional fitness. So, we've got multiple legs of a, I call it permanent weight management stool. Okay. And one of the legs is nutrition. Everybody goes, yep, got it. One of the legs is exercise or activity. Um, one of the legs is emotional fitness. Um, one of the legs relates to what drives willpower. Um, one of the legs relates to, uh, things related to compulsive overeating or addiction. Mm-hmm. And so those are the, those are the legs that we, we have to address now, most people. So let me say it again, nutrition, exercise, activity, emotional fitness, uh, the continued ability to have, you know, conviction and willpower. That's kind of a separate thing. And we address that. And then, you know, addiction, addiction and compulsive overeating. All the elements that go into that are multifaceted. And uh, there, there are many, many parts to that. We live in a very obesogenic, you know, environment. And all the pieces and parts that create this obesogenic just means, you know, anything that is external and internal that promotes behaviors that drive up obesity, right? right. And there's so many factors that go into that. So I knew, you know, most people come in and they're like, all right, Dave, listen, I know what to do. I just need to do it. Now, they may not say that. This isn't across the board, but a lot of people have a, we all eat, you know? And so therefore, we all know nutrition, at least to a degree. Some some people are very well read on it, but what they've read could be sketchy, but they they feel they're well read. So they'll come in a lot of times with, I know what to do. I just need to do it. When they say that, they're speaking of nutrition and exercise. They're speaking of yes. they're speaking of the calories in, calories out, energy expenditure, energy intake, um, and just you know, just tell me, give me the seven day meal plan, and give me the exercise routine, and I'll be on my way. I just need a little bit of accountability, and I'll be good. And that's a mindset that's very, very common. Um, and, and and some people don't. Some people don't. Some people are very just open to saying, "Hey, I don't really know. You know, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why. I don't know." nutrition very well. I don't, but most times they're still focused on nutrition and exercise. So we're going to focus on those things. And I say this not to mean it literally, but I say, I can teach you what you need to know about nutrition for health in about an hour. I can teach you what you need to know about exercise and activity for health in about an hour. But what keeps those things going in the right direction? What keeps those things consistent when the stress of the day is overwhelming? What keeps those things consistent 
when you just had the argument with a spouse or, you know, uh, you know, someone you love or whatever it is, what keeps those things consistent when you get the note from the boss? What, you know, and on and on and on when you get the bad news, when this is going on, when this feels stressful, when there's anxiety, how do we keep those two things going the right way? It's the other legs that I talked about. So to that's the simplest way I can answer um, this very, you know, kind of complex subject of how do we do this? We have to look at all of it because if we just look at nutrition and exercise, we're not going to win. We have to bring in the other elements that are driving willpower, look at compulsive eating, and, and then all the factors that are huge related to emotional fitness. Um, when we do that step-by-step, step, progressively, bit-by-bit, one little step forward at a time, we can start to appropriately, respectfully address these things and move past eat less, exercise more. Yes. That message. I love the emotional fitness aspect. I mean, that's where almost every approach, every book, every program, they, they just, that's not even considered. So you were so far ahead of your time doing that. Yeah, it just, I, at that time, and I want to, you know, I'll welcome you or anyone. I have not found, and I mean this sincerely, that's why I welcome this quote unquote challenge. At the time in 1999, my book was the fourth edition was published in 2002, and I haven't put out a new edition. What I've done is I've just continually updated via our our virtual on online campus. You know, any all the new, it's just it, I just keep bringing it out there instead of uh, writing another book. But in 2002, I was not aware, and I'm still not aware of a book that addressed at that time at least nutrition, exercise, and emotional fitness all in one. You know, like you said back then, and most times it's nutrition or it's exercise, or or it's emotional fitness, personal growth oriented, you know, that kind of way. But all three in one, I still don't know of one in 2002 that was around. So, um, but I just, I just could see, you know, very strongly that it was such, it is, well, there's other, these other components I talked about, but emotional fitness is such a massively important, underappreciated, undertaught, um, whatever you want to say that, you know, just undervalues it, but is so critical to keeping that energy in, energy out, calories in, calories out, nutrition and exercise, keeping those things on the straight and narrow. Right. The difference, it sounds like between knowing and actually doing. Yes. All yes. those, I mean, we all know, I think by now, I hope, please, you know, that right. the drive through is not a place to actually get food. Um, and so we know we shouldn't drive through that drive through, but the, the note from the boss, one of your examples, that could derail someone. So, yeah, for you. Um, so, I heard you say in another podcast, and you just mentioned your book, and it's, you know, now hasn't been. Uh, re-edited, if you will, in right. 20 years. So you said that there really wasn't much that you would change about the book. So tell me, is there anything that you, you know, that you went, oh, well, I've changed my thinking on that. You know, I looked at it recently and didn't read the whole book again, but I looked at it. I looked at the uh, index and so forth. And I looked at all the subjects and I looked at each heading, because I really broke things down quite quite a lot in that book. And 
as I'm looking at it, I'm like, yeah, I'm thinking to myself, would I change? What would I, what would I really change? Cause I've been asked that question before and I answer, there wouldn't be much I would change because, but in my head, I'm thinking, what would I change? And I, I think that the conclusion I came to is there would be, I can't even give you a specific that there would be something, a, a, the way I said something or a, um, a, a tweaky little thing here and there. Otherwise, I'd say the biggest thing I would say is what I know now about, about willpower, what I know now about compulsive overeating, what I know now in the expanded version about emotional fitness um, is so much greater than what I knew in 2002. What I would do is I would take those sections and I would expand them and I would bring in the newest, latest information that I have. But I know it's, it may sound crazy, but it's really solid. I mean, it, there isn't going to be much. I mean, I, I may not say it the same way, but sometimes I've read a passage and I'm like, God, I wrote that. I wrote that. And I don't mean like that's great, but it's like, Boy, I, I like that. I mean, whoever wrote that, I like that. You know, and uh, good. You're I know. the test of time. That's so. It's wonderful. It, I really do feel, you know, uh, feel good about it. I feel if someone, you know, does happen to run across a copy, that they're going to get good, solid information. Is it 2023 current? Meaning, you know, are we speaking the exact same language with regard to all that's going on in our modern environment and society? And you know, um, there was, there's, you know, more things like. I talk about ketogenic dieting and intermittent fasting a little bit, but, you know, intermittent fasting's come in in a different way. And um, so, I, you know, again, kind of bringing things up to current is probably what I, what I would say. And I know it's, I mean, it might be kind of a lame answer, but it's the truth. No, I think it, the truth is it, it relates to something that I say and, and that was said before me and, and even you, there's a, are you familiar with the work of Dr. Weston Price, the dentist? Yes. And so that's what pisses me off, frankly, is it's like we've known traditional foods and how to eat. You know, he wrote about this, I want to say in 1930, somewhere around there. I mean, this yeah. is a long time ago, uh, but we're still mucking it up. So I think yeah, yeah. The, the tried and true, the traditional, the sound healing practices, um, that's, I think, good news for people. Because the solution is simple. It just doesn't mean that it's easy. It's, yeah. it's real food. <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah, more yeah. than that. Sure. Uh, that's a big piece of it. So It's a big piece of it. I would like to switch gears just a little bit. Um, you mentioned that you were both you know, a, a bodybuilder and a power lifter. I have never done either of those things. But I know that we're both, just from knowing that about you, that you're a huge fan of strength training. I yes. credit strength training with helping me recover from a profound eating disorder when I was in my teens. Okay. Because if you just follow the advice to just eat what you're supposed to, you're going to gain weight rapidly and it's going to be fat. And that's like the worst thing for an anorexic bulimic is to gain weight and it be fat. And I happened to just come across someone who introduced me to weight training and I built muscle and I enjoyed building muscle. And then all of a sudden, you know, when I started, I couldn't lift the like 12 pound bar my brother had in his room. I mean, pathetic. And then fast forward a couple of years and I'm bench pressing over a hundred pounds. That kind of, that helps emotional fitness. I think, cause I'm like, I am a strong person. I do matter. I should take up space. So 
I'm going to add a little question in here before the question we discussed, which Mm -hmm. is you talked about the compulsive eating, that sort of, you know, the, the emotional aspect. Have you seen strength training and building muscle help people with the emotional fitness? Like one informs the other in a way. Not only strength training and, and cardio and, or, you know, both in the sense that, um, they both have a positive impact on mental health. They both have a positive in- impact on stress reduction, anxiety, uh, cognition, mental clarity, energy, uh, mental energy. They have a, uh, they have a, a positive impact on re- reducing dementia and cognitive decline and so on and so on and so on. It is amazing what exercise does and, um, strength training. Great. And the thing is, is that. Well, we're all human and we all have a, a heart located somewhere in our chest cavity and we all have a typically have a liver and we all have, you know, these things that are like, yeah, we all have that. We don't all experience everything the same. We don't all respond the same to various training modalities. Um, some people are quick gainers on strength training. Some people aren't. Some people loathe strength training, even when they're introduced to it properly. They still don't like it. And some people feel that way about cardio. They're, Ugh. Now, when I was in my bodybuilding powerlifting days, the only time, I kid you not, that I did any cardio was when I was getting ready for a show, period. I hated it. I just wanted to lift weights. But other people are the opposite. And so um, something in your DNA or something in your, who knows, may have had you just more you know, inclined to feel even better from all that strength training gives. And the thing I'll say about strength training, of course, is it is the only training modality that's going to give some of the benefits that it does, meaning we're not going to get the additional muscle gain from strictly cardio. We're not going to get it. And strictly cardio is not going to save us from sarcopenia, which you know is the age-related decline of muscle. And that is going to happen. It is for sure, 100% going to happen as we age unless we engage in strength training. Strength training is going to help so much with balance. It's going to help so much with future independent living, reducing falls and frailty. And and strength training, as much or more so in some of these things, it's only going to happen with strength training. It isn't going to happen with cardio. But with regard to feeling good, feeling better, energy, all of the things that we, we talk about mental health, your mileage may vary, cardio or strength. You know, depending on what you're, you know, some people are just, they just feel so, so amazing from going out for a run. They just feel amazing when they do that. They come back and they're like, okay, I can face the day or whatever was going on in the day is now wiped away. And I feel great because I did that. Um, And so it really does vary, but I'm a huge, huge fan. There's nothing that'll take the place of strength training for preserving muscle. We have to do it. We can't rely on walking and general cardio and water aerobics and whatever to keep the muscle uh, that we are inevitably going to lose through sarcopenia unless we do strength training. And my gosh, muscle, muscle is so precious. And I'm not talking about adding the amount of muscle that a competitive bodybuilder needs. I'm, not, I'm just talking about just muscle for everyday living, muscle for functionality. That's the other thing too, is that the strength to be able to easily carry in the groceries and to put the thing up on the shelf and take your carry-on bag on the plane and put it up in the overhead bin and this and that and all the things you want to garden, you want to you know um, engage in just activities of daily living. All of those things are easier 
when we have engaged in at least some moderate, consistent strength training to have good, moderate, at a minimum, decent strength. Um, nothing, nothing will substitute for it. So huge, huge fan. <laughs> yeah. yeah, strength training. So what about someone who's never done strength training? I, I work with, uh, I would say more women than men. That's probably just because I am a woman, but, um, a lot of women are, you know, afraid to bulk up. They don't, there's all kind of reasons to not strength train. And I'm always trying to work with someone to, to, to combat some of those myths, but let's just say I'm new and I just want to begin. Where yeah. do I begin? Your, your body weight can be, your body can be your gym, you know, to start, you don't need anything more than your body. Um, if someone has or wants access to a full, you know, gym, great. Um, not necessary. If someone wants to hire a personal trainer, great. Um, not necessary unless it's necessary for them. What I mean by necessary for them is they, they're like, I will do it if I have an appointment. I will not do it. I don't care what plan you give me if I don't have an appointment. In that case, we want to go with the flow of what's good for them and natural for them to get started. But at the simplest level, if someone says, yeah, I'll do it. I'm not, I'm not resistant to, you know, trying something new. If I, if I know how to do it, you know, they don't want to hurt themselves. They don't want to get into something that's going to create, you know, some kind of crazy, crazy soreness where you just pummel them and leave them in a puddle of sweat and they soar for five days. We don't want to do that. Um, they might be afraid of that too, rightfully so. And so, you know, with that, your body is your gym to start. If someone is willing and able and whatnot, then we can start with the most basic things like an air squat, knee push-ups curl-ups or sit-ups or leg lifts or, you know, um, uh, heel touches or whatever with regard to core, you know, just as the, like the most simple kind of get started beginner kind of thing could be a five minute workout. So I don't have time. Everybody has five minutes. Even if you've got four, ki four kids under the age of five at home, you know, you've got five minutes. So in five minutes, you could do five air squats. You, well, I can't squat that deep because of my knees. I can't squat that deep because I da, 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 whatever. Okay. So we're squatting to a chair or we're squatting to a bed, whatever we're doing, we're finding an object where we can squat to the depth that we can do. You do five air squats, five knee or wall push-ups, right? Lean toward a wall and do push-ups toward a wall. See, it's about the easiest version or knee push-ups or a regular push-up, whatever you can do. And then five either curl-ups, sit-ups, or maybe heel touches where um, if you can't see me, you're laying on your back, you've got your knees bent, and you're just kind of angling left and right trying to touch you know, the heel of your feet. Just something for core. So five air squats, five push-ups of some kind, and five core movement repetitions of some kind. And just rest as needed and do as many rounds of that as you can in five minutes. I love Whatever it. it is, it is. Getting the hand clap, the Bravo golf clap. That, yeah, so that's, that's where we can start. I've heard to that question because usually with a trainer type, it starts to get complicated. As you know, well, then you got to do this and blah blah yeah. blah. But that's that's simple. It's easy to remember. You could do it anywhere. Very well said, sir. Thank you. All right, so let's talk about your goals. So this whole thing with 
not only emotional fitness, I love as a psych major and a former management consultant, you know, I love my smart goals. So when I saw that, I went, okay, this yeah. is perfect. And and the fact that you want to have that really compelling why is it important? So like, I want to lose 20 pounds, for example, is not like super compelling, especially when you get the boss's note. So that winning why can you give us example of a smart goal with a winning why for that person who we just talked about who's going to do the the rule of fives <laughs> the five air squats the oh, yeah. five push-ups and the five core workout like how do we get them to a smart goal so the, you know to me there's a there's a few different versions of that acronym right cuz smart is an acronym specific measurable action based realistic minus the one I use is specific, measurable, action-oriented, realistic, and time-sensitive. So, you know, a lot of times goals, so to speak, are really just, in, you know, intentions or, you know, ideas. You know, they're, they don't really have any teeth behind them because they don't have um, those components that make them smart. And the other thing is I, I talk about smart P, smart hyphen P. So the letter P is uh, you want to have a the majority of your smart goals be performance oriented things you have control over things you can you can take action on that you have control over so you can have an you can have a smart outcome goal um and you can have a and but the majority of the goals need to be smart performance goals so a smart outcome goal is um i want to uh lose you know 30 pounds by april 15th 2023 you know, so is it specific? Yeah. Is it measurable? It is. Is it action oriented? Eh, you know, because it's a little bit more goal oriented defined, but that's okay. Is it realistic? Depends on the person, but yes, you could say, I don't know if April 15th from here, Yeah, but it's, it's possible. Yeah. Um, is it time sensitive? It is. It has the date attached to it. Okay, great. That's where a lot of people stop. They're like, that's my goal. I'm out. Thanks. Thanks so much, coach. I got it. They're like, no, you don't have it yet. So now what are some smart performance oriented? What are the performance things you can do or that, and that are going to be necessary that you have control over that are small, but critical and necessary to consistently achieve it? So if we look at that 555 workout, that would be a performance goal that we could, that we could make smart. All right. So to make that a smart goal, uh, someone might say, for an example, and I'm just, I hadn't thought about this before the question, but uh, to make it a smart goal, we would say that we are going to do the 555 by 8 a.m. on Thursday, January 26th, you know, um, and so I will have it completed by then. Whew, okay. Well, I love that. I think I need to go through the smart and make sure it fits, but I'm pretty sure specific, measurable, action oriented. It is. Is it realistic? It is. Um, and is it time sensitive? Yes. And is it and is it a P? Is it a performance goal? Something that you do as a behavior that you have control over. You're not asking, I'll do it if Dixie does this. Oh. Okay, now it's dependent on someone else. 
not saying that can't happen, but it's not, you know, and what I'm saying is like if David is making the goal, but I'm making it dependent on whether Dixie does the podcast with me. Oh, okay. You know, right. So no, it should be with the things that are within your control. And that is within that person's control. They can choose it. They're, they're the ones hundred percent responsible for doing it or not. Um, and it's not big. And I love those performance goals that are small, progressive, not overwhelming, but that are necessary, right? And so that's an exercise one. And you can also turn them into nutrition and keep them really small and make them smart performance goals. I will eat a vegetable. You can get specific. I will eat three baby carrots, whatever. I will eat a vegetable by noon today. It's performance oriented. It's smart. Instead of just saying, instead of saying, which a lot of people do, I need to eat more vegetables. Exactly. There's no action in that. <laughs> well, yeah, we all need to do lots of things, right? But it's, you know, it's just a it's just a good intention, non-commitment. You know, there's nothing specific behind it. Um, and it's just not well defined. I love it. I mean, that really I I went through the exercise on your website and I'm like, this is great because y'all, it it's sort of progressive questions if you are a, a new student of uh, Leanness Lifestyle University, and it's great. So bravo there as well. So I heard you say, David, on another podcast <clears throat> about people eating, say, three to six times a day. And I smiled because I remembered a woman that I hired, it's probably 10 years ago now, and she was one of these bodybuilder types. I mean, her physique was was yeah. gorgeous. Right. And she wanted me to eat six times a day. And it was very low fat. And it was like all I was doing was buying food, making food, eating food, and then frankly, right. being hungry. So right. <laughs> to me, what has helped me, and as you said earlier, people are different. You know, I right. have love strength training. Someone else, it's their worst nightmare. So to me... I think in my body, any more than three times um, is, and especially with people I work with that have got, you know, metabolic health problems, like that's unnecessarily spiking insulin. It's creating this hunger cycle, this sugar roller coaster. So talk to me about if, if, you know, someone wants to become a student of Leanness Lifestyle University, how are they going to be eating is that individualized like or do you just have a way like this is how it works mm -hmm. on a program yeah that's a great question um, we provide a framework of nutrition that's flexible so you know there are 15 nutrition elements nutrition fundamentals as we call them um, they are flexible and adaptable to just about any eating style that someone's going to eat it but and what i would say is i Nutrition principle number one is something you said earlier, which is, and this is our principle number one, is eat real food. Oh, yes. So, right. So <laughs> if you do one thing, please just eat real food. It, please, right. And so that's why it's our nutrition principle number one is eat real food. And then there are 14 other, you know, nutrition principles that go along um, that, again, highly adaptable to whatever style someone is. If someone's eating two or three times a day, the 15 principles are still going to apply. Now, one of the boxes is, I, you know, I consumed uh, typically not less than three meals, not more than six, you know, on any given day. The reason we have that in there is that is um, it that is in nothing's uniform, but that is in research. When we look at successful people who have gotten weight off and kept it off, 
in published research, the overwhelming majority of them eat somewhere between that amount. That doesn't mean that other people aren't going to be successful eating one, two times a day. Um, and so if you are like you, in your case, you're eating three, first of all, that's a no problem at all. And nothing's a problem. We would just want to look at and see what's, what's the person doing. And we want to meet them where they are. So we're not going to come at them and say, Oh, you're one of those you're eating one or two times a day. Well, nice meeting you. You know, it won't work. It may work just fine for them. We want to look at things though. Um, within this framework, we want to at least address like, let me just get extreme. You, you know, you know, OMAD, you know, one meal a day. You know, Very some people are, right, now. right. They brought it down to one meal a day and it's it's out there. What I, what I would say is, but it gets really funky though. If you really look at what a lot of people doing, what they're doing in, in reality with their one meal a day is they eat for an hour, you know, and it's still 2000 calories, but it's one meal a day or whatever, you know, and in that, that's a heavy load in the digestive system. That's what I um, think. Just, woof, I do not like to be full. Like I just, right. And that's that feeling. So look, it's, it's going to be a lot. <laughs> and the other thing is that, you know, certain rules, science rules, physiology rules, keep muscle rules. Don't go away just because someone's decided to adopt a one meal a day plan. For example, you were talking about, and I, you know, I'm so on board with, we got to keep muscle, keep it at a minimum. You know, you might need to add some more new muscle, but you got to keep it because otherwise sarcopenia and we lose it as we age. Well, as a part of keeping muscle, especially if we're trying to cut fat, especially if we're doing that, especially if, if you're engaged in, in weight training for the purpose of adding muscle or and or you're in a fat loss mode, we need about twice the protein per day as someone who's in is someone who's in maintenance. How do you well, that, get your protein with OMAD? I mean, I'm not saying it can't be done, but the likelihood that it's going to happen is going to be quite minimal. The other thing is that I'm not someone, again, I follow the science, nose is buried in peer-reviewed research every single week. And I'm not someone who says, you can't absorb more than 30 grams of protein in a meal. False. Depends on the person. But what I will say is, generally speaking, what they have found is the upper threshold is about 60 grams per meal. So it doesn't mean that it's always 60 grams. If someone eats a ribeye steak and it's got 80 grams of protein, they might absorb that just fine. But generally speaking, 60 grams is kind of the cutoff on a per meal basis. Well, if your one meal a day has you know 130 grams of protein, which maybe is what we want for the day, how much of it are you really absorbing? How much of it can the body really use? So these rules that are science-based don't go away just because someone's decided to adapt to the less than three meal plan. It can happen. It's at one meal a day. It's probably, probably not ideal, but again, there, there are going to be people out there. They're going to say, I've been on one meal a day for two years and I have feel, okay, great. We're, I'm just going to say great because I'm a fan of uh, Churchill's quote. Winston Churchill had a quote that I, that I love, which is no matter how beautiful the strategy, we should occasionally look at the results. <laughs> and so, you know, we oh, can talk to this marketer. That is, oh boy. Right? So, so we could, you and I could talk strategy and all day and we could look at this and that. But a person who's on one meal a day and has for four or five years, I, the person who's been out for three months, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm a little, I'm going to be a little, don't get me wrong. I'm going to support what they're doing. And we're going to try to make it work. And we're not going to say, you can't do this. It won't work for you. That's not it. But I'm going to be a little 
um, deaf to any kind of notion that this works for me and I know it does. It, you're too early in it. When you've been doing it and you've gotten to where you want to go and you've been doing it well for four years or so, then I'm going to say, hey, Churchill's quote. I like that. You know, um, it works for you. Excellent. So let's talk about uh, Heiko. Some people call it Seco. Calories in, calories out. So I admittedly in my book talk about calorie jail because I spent basically from age 10 to about 35 obsessively counting calories. I'm 45 now, so I've had a 10-year break. Thank goodness. I was able to write my book because I didn't have to count calories anymore. Right. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious about your perspective with calories, just because from, you know, and as we've said a few times in this episode, like different people have different physiologies, different traditions. Um, for me, that just, it worked until it didn't work when I became injured and I couldn't, you know, I used, you were talking about the run. Oh, I used to love my long runs, but my yeah. hip, my operated on hip that says, no, those days are right. over. So it just stopped working for me. And I found that focusing on something that I know we both love because we've talked about it, this real whole food and the nutrient density was what really helped me let go of that. Now I'm different because I came into it via disordered eating and, and you know, you see that as well. I know, yeah. but what's your just overall perspective on calories? You know, do they matter? Is it bullshit? Is it some gray area? What say you, you have decades more experience than me. Yeah. So I, I say this it drives me nuts. You didn't say it. So this isn't in any reflection oh, okay. on anything you've said. No, you didn't, but it drives me, it drives me nuts. When I see someone with a huge platform or whatever say, pay no attention to calories, it's all hormones. Um, what I say is calories are king, but it's not the only thing. And so here's the deal. Each of us, again, we're all human. And you think of it from a medical perspective too. So you go into, you go into your physician and he or she needs to treat you for something. Uh, thankfully, we're all human. Again, as I said, hearts in the chest cavity here. We got a couple of kidneys a liver, on and on and on. But we don't all respond to the same medical treatment in the same way. They figure that out eventually. Together, hopefully, you get a plan and it's something that works for you. It's one of the reasons there are like 10 different pain relievers out there. Tylenol works for somebody. Ibuprofen works for someone else. They, everything doesn't work for everyone. So um, with regard to calories in, calories out, we're all, again, human. We've all got the two kidneys. Okay, fine. We all have a metabolism. And what I'll say is that within a fairly reasonably predictable range, I can tell you, Dixie, how many calories you're going to need based on your activity, can calculate it, how many you're going to need to maintain, how many you're going to need to gain, how many you're going to need to lose. Your site gave me a very specific number. I think it was 1463 to lose five pounds by, I, I forget the date. I oh, my plant. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, I yeah, I didn't hear you. I didn't hear you. So, so yeah, there are formulas that'll get it close. And what we'll, what we can do is that's, and here's the thing. I say calories are king, but they're not the only thing. Um, it is king from the from the perspective of a math problem. It is king from the perspective of an equation. If we just look at humans as just a math problem, calories in, calories out, eat less, exercise more. They're not. 
But from a caloric perspective, it's very important that people do know that it's not mystical, magical, whatever. If within a range, you know, for somebody, for you, it might be 1466 to lose blah, 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 by whatever date. For someone else, it could be 1675. And, and it could be somebody your height and weight still, and it might be off by a couple 300 calories a day. It's probably not going to be off by 500 a day. It could be off by a few hundred. But if if a person with good with a good calculation being done, considering resting metabolic rate, um, uh, energy expenditure in the day, and uh, and the thermic effect of food, and all these things that come into creating the equation, if we consider all those things, it can be predicted. I can tell you if you were if I could get you in robot mode, okay meaning you're no longer an emotional human being and you just say, yes, I will eat this no matter what, you know, if we could get you in robot mode, I could tell you very closely in six weeks what you're going to weigh if you eat this. I might be off just a smidge, but I won't be off by much. So to me, one, it's just incredibly science evidence-based. Um, no one gets to violate the laws of thermodynamics and calories matter the most when it comes to weight gain, weight, man, uh, weight maintenance or weight loss. However, however, that piece where it says, but they're not the only thing is huge because nutrients matter. They matter a great deal. What we're eating matters. Yes, Dixie, whatever you weigh now, you could lose five pounds in five weeks eating nothing but Cheerios or Lucky Charms. Exactly. Well, according to Tufts University, Cheerios are now. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. Don't even get me. Yes, I know. I know their <sighs> their their food classification system is a is a mess. Yeah, they've got Cheerios. they got lucky charms in front of beef or something like that. It's just exactly. but anyway, it, it can be predicted. It is they are king in the sense that if we can get the behaviors to align uh from a pure weight gain, weight stable, weight loss perspective, they are what matter the most. However, nutrients matter huge. However, whether it's real food or ultra processed food matters immensely when it comes to behaviors, immensely when it comes to health, immensely when it comes to all the factors that de determine health span, lifespan, um, joints, you know, infl inflammation, non-communicable diseases, on and on and on. Yeah, someone can get to any weight they want eating Lucky Charms and nothing but that. But because calories, because calories are king. But in the real world, in the real world, we have to look at all of those other factors like nutrients, like real food versus ultra processed food, like willpower, like compulsive eating, like emotional fitness, because that's why I say they're king, but they're not the only thing. Um, someone says, pay no attention to calories, just look at hormones. And I say, that's nuts. Hormones matter. They do. They will impact behavior. They will impact nutrient partitioning. They will impact deposition of where fat goes. You know, you menopause and this kind of thing. You know, we start getting more central, centrally located fat deposition, right? Yeah, hormones affect all of those things from thinking to behaviors, to nutrient partitioning, to fat deposition, where it goes in the body. But still, still, no matter what stage of life someone's in, calories are king, but they are not the only thing. So I won't go into it unless you want me to with regard to counting calories, but that's kind of my, that's kind of my foundation for recognizing the importance of calories and what, you know, energy in, energy out, 
Um, but how we get there is rubber on the road stuff. Well, and I think the two philosophies, if you, yeah. that's sort of a big unnecessary word, but I think both right. can be true. So I like what you said, you know, sorry, but the laws of thermodynamics apply. That's just yeah. how it is. Agreed. Does someone have to do that to achieve what they need? And I think maybe my hypothesis is what we've been talking about now, and it's good to repeat, real whole foods, because your satiety signaling is broken by ultra processed foods. And so therefore, it's very easy to overeat when you just eat real whole single ingredient foods you're done, you know, when you're done. And so, but, but, but then I agree, maybe there are people though, who still need to count calories. Um, and that's what they want to do to, to, and that helps them sort of like some people want to weigh every day. Some people want to weigh every week to me, it's, you know, as you've said, like working with the individual for what works for them. Um, I just know that for me, it was very much the wrong focus. You know, I need, I I needed that overarching nutrient density, but I like that because I would love to say, just never worry about that again to all my clients, but there are people who, you know, the way that I'm working with them maybe doesn't work to the extent that they need it. So we have to maybe like dive a little bit deeper. So thank you for that insight. Can I add just one thing on that too, just for, for clarity on the calories, on the counting? One of the things, too, with us is we are only a fan of counting calories long term if the person finds comfort in the end from doing it. So what happens is they use an app. They use uh, the app on on my virtual campus or they'll use my fitness pal or whatever. Um, my fitness pal is typically the biggie, you know, for as a as a tracking app, you know, for counting. That's fine. Unrelated to me. Um they get, it becomes something where the apps make it so easy to do. Some people find, not at first, when you're first putting stuff in, it's like, oh, you know, it, it, it's whatever. But some of the apps make it, in ours too, makes it so easy to do because we find people only eat about 20 different meals in a month. Right. Once you get it in the system, you're right. I mean, and just in general, even if you don't put it in the system, you don't just in general in life, you don't typically eat more than about 20 ish different things in a month. So I'm, we're not a fan of doing it long term unless that person says, I just like seeing it fine. No, you know, um, body dysmorphia things, no psychological things going on. It's all just positive. And they're like, it takes me two minutes and fine. Otherwise, what we say is we recommend it, not mandate it. We recommend it in the beginning for a couple, three weeks. Get a handle, just get a feel for it. Yeah. If the person, if the person's never done it before, they're likely to be surprised because they're like, well, I don't eat that much. Because that's a thinking they have. Hey, I don't eat that much. And then they look and they go, Oh, I didn't realize that the this and that was, you know, right. and here I am and I'm sitting at, you know, whatever, 2,600 calories and I'm supposed to be at 1,800 or whatever it is. And so they learn and they kind of get their own master's degree in personal, you know, intake, you know, from doing that for a little while. And then we say, All right, leave it or whatever you want to do, and let's live life. Let's eat real food. Let's do these other things and put these <laughs> things in place. We don't keep logging forever. A- another time that we'll say it's good to maybe do it, and again, it depends. You came to me and said, Dave, here's my history. I'm not going to ask you to do it. I'm not. I'm not going to ask you to do it. I don't think it would be positive for you. I don't think, and likely not going to be necessary. 
we'll eventually look, and I'm not going to push you either way, but I, it just, because we're talking here, you know, I might say we need to look at Churchill and see, you know, how beautiful the strategy, but we need to look at the results. But it, but it doesn't mean that I'm going to guilt you into logging. I would just say, let's continue to work through these things. Uh, but a lot of times we'll have people do it if they're, if they're stuck. Like if they're like, I don't understand what's going on, Dave. I was losing, I lost 10 pounds. I was doing great. Da, 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 da. Or I, you know, whatever. Or I got to my goal. I lost 25 pounds and I'm at my lifetime goal. And now the weight's coming back up and I'm not eating that much. I don't know what's going on. I, we, we might say, let's go back and log for three days, just three days. And then we'd say, let's see what's going on. I've had to do it myself. There was a time, uh, you know, I'm in my late fifties. There was a time when I was about 50 where I, I was like Eeyore, you know, from Winnie the Pooh. And I was like, well, I'm getting older. My metabolism slowing down. You know, I can't, I have to eat like a 12 year old girl or whatever. I can't eat, you know, and I, and I went, wait a minute, Dave, what would you tell someone else? And I hadn't logged in. I hadn't logged in. <laughs> I hadn't logged in a few years and I'm like, let's see what you're eating. Well, my, well, I'm not eating very much was 3,400 calories a day. Right. And I went, oh, your metabolism's fine. <laughs> Back you to know. the laws of thermodynamics. <laughs> so I, I only did that for a few days. It, it, it not only woke me back up, got me back to reality, but it had me feeling less sorry for myself that now I'm older and my metabolism, my metabolism was just fine. I just was underestimating. Exactly. It's anyway. just, so root causes of obesity, diabetes, diabetes, for me, you know, as I look at this food space with all of these franken faux foods and yes. inflammatory oils that dysregulate hormones and sleep and mental health, create mental health problems, um, you know, and, and I look around the world and, and I see this thing that we're missing in our culture largely. I mean, we do have foodies, but that tends to be like one extreme is we do not enjoy the pleasures of the table. You know, we're doing fridge drive-bys, we're doing the drive-throughs that everyone knows are not, you know, a place to get real food. And, and food needs to be honored in a way. Um, so for me, that's my, one of my big messages with the nourishment mindset is it's not just the real whole foods, but it's actually connecting with nature and humanity at a table, even if you're the only one at the table and you're just eating lunch quietly and focusing on what you're doing, but what other drivers, because you've been doing this for more years, you've talked about emotional fitness, you've talked about um, the compulsive eating. What else do you see? As far as what's driving the overconsumption or the off-plan kind of eating or, well, or what? Consumption and then the end result of obesity, diabetes, I mean, rates just skyrocketing. Right. It's not so, gotten better since you launched Leanness Lifestyle for your clients, for your students. Yeah, yes. Right. But for the world. I'll go back to that big word, obesogenic. Yeah. So that's where I would start. Um, we live in an incredibly obesogenic environment. If you look at what's promoted marketing wise, um, what's promoted marketing wise with relate, related to what most people would call food that you and I don't, you know, you and I just don't, I don't call it food. It's always, I always call it Franken food, food like substance, ultra processed food. 
in my head, my head flips it immediately. Even if I'm eating a pizza that isn't food, I don't in my head say, I'm going to have some food. I'm like, I'm going to have, I'm going to have my Franken pizza or whatever, you know, I'm going to have it. Um, so that all the factors that relate to the obesogenic environment. So marketing is huge. What gets marketed? What do we, you ever seen an advertisement for Brussels sprouts? I mean, <laughs> You know, on I'm television, waiting for that, right? Um, that they, they don't exist. Real food advertisements just almost don't exist. Then we've got the um, the the aspect of of subsidies for farmers. What are farmers growing? They're growing crops that eventually typically get turned into Franken food. So there's a, I I call it the monkey banana relationship. It's like what's the reward here? You know, it's like we're all just monkeys. And it's like, what's the banana? You give me the right banana and I will respond accordingly. And so we're giving, you know, farmers um, a reward of sorts for doing this. And then the government's rewarded and then food companies are rewarded. And as long as the relationship is what it is, um, it's going to be it's going to be a problem in that regard. We're looking at what about number of fast food restaurants? What about, you know, I don't I'm not one that says fast food. You're the reason I just say that they're just one of the spokes in the wheel. But the availability of fast food didn't exist 50 years ago, 60 oh, you're, years when ago. I was just thinking, when you and I were kids, there were, I mean, how, it's probably five times the number of chains or something. And and ask, you know, maybe at this point, depending on the age of your listener, ask a parent or a grandparent how many times they went out to eat in a week or a month or a year. And they were, my, I asked my dad that, you know, a few years back. Is Dad, how often did you, you know, go out to eat? He goes, oh, my gosh. He goes, it was, you know, maybe once a month. And it was crazy as special, you know? Um, so we, so what about the convenience marts and 24 seven access, you know, for hundreds of thousands of years, we didn't have 24 seven access. You know, a lot of times we had no access for days right. um, and uh, or longer. And then we just ended up, you know, not surviving, but the species survived because we, we evolved to figure out and our bodies were, had us driven to calorie dense, you know, eat things that are calorie dense so that you can store up, and you'll have some reserve for when the famine comes, but there's no famine now. And so we've got, and what about the cost of these ultra processed foods? They're typically cheap, really convenient. Um, they're quick. They typically require less or no preparation. Um, so all of these factors contribute to the obesogenic environment, promoting the overconsumption of ultra processed foods. So I say it this way with regard to the obesogenic environment. All of the factors that contribute to the overconsumption of ultra-processed food, including the fact that ultra-processed food is addictive, all of that, which also makes it obesogenic, all of the factors that contribute to the overconsumption of ultra-processed food are collectively the single greatest factor contributing to obesity. So we have to be aware of that. We have to look at it and we have to say, that fast food is a driver. It's a, that fast food is a big contributor, and we have to at least be aware that we've got all of these cues, you know, in our mental space, in our visual um, focus, and um, so we've got to be aware, you know, of of those things. We also people have willpower. You know, I, I, I'll, I'll ask your audience just to answer for themselves. If you work for someone else, how often are you late to work? People are going to say, like, never. I mean, almost never. 
you know, none of us is perfect, but it's really low. Do you always go to work in a great mood? Do you always go to work when you're, you know, when you're full of energy and not tired? Do you always go to work when the weather's great? Do you always go to work when you're not sick? Do you always go to work, you know, are all these things that somehow have to supposedly be there for our fitness to to take hold? And you go, no. And I go, well, why are you, are you to work on time? Well, because I need the money, because I like the job, because of this and that, and my family and my house and my car and the, and the things that people rely on me. And the why is the why is incredibly strong for driving you to go do that thing that you might not love on some days or on any day, but you do it anyway. We can say the same. So that takes incredible willpower. My definition of willpower, just my working definition, is the ability to do what needs to be done, when it needs to be done, whether you feel like it or not. Oh, I love it. (laughs) You know, and so you go, all right, so I go to work. I do what needs to be done, when it needs to be done, whether I feel like it or not. That's willpower. What drives that? Why power? Just one more example. For for people listening that you, you remember back or maybe you've got kids of of school age right now. They need you to pick them up, soccer practice, school, whatever it is. When was the last time you just blew it off? <laughs> you know, I mean. Well, just I, last I, night. I think he might still be at the baseball field. Right. He might, he, might, he might still be there. You know what? I just wasn't in the mood. Right. I was tired. I didn't have the energy. Matter of fact, my throat was a little tickly. I had a sore throat. I didn't feel like it. Matter of, and I'm just actually, I'm just kind of tired of having to do it. It's a pain in the butt and I got to do it during a busy time of the day and I hate rush hour traffic. So I just said, no, no. Parents are like, are you kidding me? You know, they, a parent feels guilty for five years for being 10 minutes late, exactly. you know? So anyway, we don't, we don't gift ourselves with that same um, diligence. And that that's, yeah. that's very, I love it because so many people in, our space can be either preachy or dogmatic. And it, it's just, it's not approachable for a lot of people. But what you just took me through, I mean, you you had me laughing. So I, I assume that it's the same thing with your your clients and your students. And, and it's great because it just shows you, you can do this. And that's a wonderful yeah. thing. It's not a pushy uh, approach no. at all. It is, you've got this, you can you- do it. So I love it. I love the way you, you just said that because that's exactly where where I'm sitting, where I'm sitting right now. What I feel about my clients is exactly what you just said. You do have this. We just we just can't rely on the old messaging. Hey, calories in, calories out, and personal responsibility. Peace out. That's not going to work. It hasn't worked. Our obesity rates at forty three percent. It was at fifteen percent in nineteen seventy. It's supposed to be fifty percent by twenty thirty. We're not winning this with the messaging of all things in moderation, personal responsibility, um, eat less, exercise more. We're that, turning a lot of people off. We're and we're turning a lot of people off because they keep trying that without success. So one more question, and then I always like to have a parting tip from our from our expert. Okay. Something I read that you said, your point about the start itself is what stops many people. And it's related to what you were just saying. So what advice do you have for someone who is hearing this and going, okay, I can do this. I realize that I've never left my child at the baseball field. Right. What advice do you have for this parent (laughs) to just get started, just to take the first step? 
It's a it's a great question. And I just want to say, I think I'm going to have, I've got to have a marketing piece that says, have you ever left a child at the baseball field? No, then you can do this, you know? And so I love what you said there. Um, all right. So if we just kind of look at, let's look at, let's look at the kind of the three main legs of weight management stool, nutrition, exercise, and emotional fitness. So let's take one little thing in each. So nutrition, it could be um, to eat one vegetable a day. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're not eating any or it's eat one more. One of the things we want to do is we want to start crowding out the ultra processed food by increasing real food. And that's the way I like to think of it. Instead of take away, take away, take away, let's keep, because that's what's happened in reverse. It's, re, it's the reason as a society, we are where we are. Real food has become crowded out because the average person's consuming 90% of their day is ultra processed food, 10% real food, maybe. And so the real food's been crowded out. Start to reverse it, but start to reverse it without all or nothing perfectionism. More you know, come, come at it with just eat one more vegetable, eat one piece of fruit, not even a whole fruit, eat a strawberry, eat, you know, do go in that direction. Um, another little, just kind of simple thing is if you are someone who consumes a lot of diet soda or full strength soda or whatever, and you maybe you're at six a day or something like that, just cut back one of those, right. not two, one, just cut back one and just say, I'll have five instead of six today or whatever it may be. Make those small changes and just start with that. And and I'm going to say it, as much as I possibly can, feel good about that change. You know, give yourself give yourself an, an applause, celebrate that change, and just keep slowly, incrementally, or whatever pace is comfortable for you, increasing. You know that that real food. When it comes to exercise, we kind of talked about one. You know, where it could be five minutes of something. Don't make it overwhelming. I heard. I heard unless you do at least 30 minutes and you're you're drained in a pool of sweat, it's worthless. Not true. Not true. The other thing is that was a strength training, you know, body, your body is your equipment workout. But if you are able, go walk around the block. You may not be able, weather, safety, whatever, I get it. But if you can walk, you say, well, I got to get in 10,000 steps or it's worthless. No, it's not. Can you get in 500 steps? I mean, can you go just... Don't even go around the block. Walk to the end of your driveway and back. If you're not doing anything, a step like that is a great step in the right direction. And I'm going to applaud any new student who says, Dave, I haven't done, you know, I have just been basically couch. I I work at an office. I sit at my desk all day and I basically, you know, my only exercise has been uh, pulling the plug in the bathtub and fighting fighting the drain or fighting the water from going down the drain. You know, that's been it. But now you've done that little bit of walking. Now you've done even five air squats. Great. Small, little, tiny, little step to get started. When it comes to the emotional fitness side of things, we might say, go all in as you can on your sleep hygiene. Mm, Just, you know, because if we don't get enough sleep, at least seven hours a day, most days of the week, we start to turn into just, you know, for me personally, you give me a number of days where I've gotten five hours, you know, in a row and you're going to find me in a corner sucking my thumb with a laundry basket over my head. You know, <laughs> well, and you're, you're much more amusing than I am. Cause I'm like, just think of his insulin response. His insulin is going to be out of control. And then right. the post, and it's like under the, I know I'm like, just yeah, thinking, I'm just, I'm a babbling 
babbling baby idiot, you know, when I don't get sleep. And so here's the thing. What are our choices nutritionally like? Again, getting that nutrition and exercise choices consistent. What are those choices like when we don't sleep? Besides those choices, the importance of sleep just can't be overstated. So that would be maybe one thing you could do is just make some tiny change or, or a good positive change to getting to bed at the right time so that your wake up time makes sense. And you're trying to get the seven hours, keep the lights down low, get rid of uh, artificial light and all of the electronic devices and kind of prep yourself. Don't have an argument with the spouse. Don't talk. Hey, I've got something deep to talk with you about at 930 PM and we go to bed at 10. Oh, try not to do that, you know, because now your brain's racing a mile a minute and things like that, that would just be like just starter things. But someone, because each person is different, may say, Dave, I'm already eating this amount. I'm already doing this. I'm already doing that. So we just would want to just take an incremental step forward in at least those three areas to start, but maybe just one of those areas. Um, and, uh, and, and you just, you just get going, you know, um, I, I, I won't do it because it, there's a, there's a strategy I use for, um, making a deal with yourself that is all about small, small change that is really effective, but I don't, if, uh, for time constraints, if it's not long, but it, for time constraints, if, if I can, I can leave it. Well, how about this? People need to find you. Yeah. So I think they should go and check out Leanness Lifestyle University. So is that the website? Will you tell us how you want people to find you? Yeah, absolutely. That That is the best. And all the social links are on there. So the best uh, address to give is just that. And it's lluniversity.com lluniversity.com. And I believe at least when I was there the other day, people can get a, a, a free taste. Yeah. So what I say is once in a while, we'll run like a, we'll run a trial. When, when you came in, we were running a two week trial. What I'll say to this, for any of your listeners, if we aren't running that, if we don't have a free two week trial when they visit the site, because we just got maybe the, the normal page up, contact me, just send me an email, use the contact us page and say, Hey, I heard you on Dixie's podcast, da, 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 da. You talked about a free two-week trial. I'd like to take advantage. I will get you the link and we'll make sure you get taken care of. Excellent. Because I think there's going to be some people who want to go through that, you know, exercise with you about, you know, leaving your kid at school or sports <laughs> practice and just remind themselves, I can do this. Yes. You so, have done. Everybody has done. I, I'll leave with this because I know that I'm over on time and I just go on and on. But I do. I'll, I will say this. You've already done incredibly hard things in your life, whoever's listening. You've already achieved amazing things. You've already demonstrated you can do hard things for a long time. You, you've demonstrated that. Um, so it's not a surprise if you're struggling. It's not a surprise if you're not where you want to be. It's not a surprise that you're not. With the messaging and the misinformation and the misguided this and the half-truths and the half-baked this and the... And the just incomplete, you know, and inadequate messaging that's gone on, it's not, what I say is, it's not a wonder that you're not. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. It just, we just have to bring the messaging and the edu education and support and all that goes with that to meeting you where you are and bring it into 2023, you know, bring it into where we are. And if we do that, you can get to any healthy weight you want, living in the body you want, um, having the fitness you want for life. Uh, there's going to be a little ebb and flow. This isn't a, I get to this and I stay there perfectly. That's not it. But it, 
isn't the yo-yoing and the up and down and the relapsing doesn't have to occur. And I'm just here to tell you, don't give up, stay with it. And uh, anything I can do, you know, just feel free to reach out. I love that positive note. You provided us with three tips at the end um, and many more throughout. So thank you, David, for being on this show. We really appreciate your advice and approachability, y'all. I mean, that's the thing. Not all programs or educational experiences are, are brutal. And he's built such a approachable, again, I keep coming back to that word and, and baby step. It's not overwhelming. So bravo. Thank you. And uh, I hope everyone out there has a nourished day. Thank you.